Welcome back to There Are Three of Me. I'm Gabrielle Lawson, Ina Coriel, and Philippe de Lamontrac. Those are my pin names that I write by. And lately, we've been reading a story by Philippe. We've been reading his Call of Duty World War II story, Aftermath. And yeah, he's not really a guy. He's me. <laughs> I think I've told the story of how I came upon that uh, pin name before. But I'll tell it again, just in case you've started here and you're wondering why is she writing under a guy's name? Well, you see, I generally, as Gabrielle Lawson, wrote under my own name. That was my name before I got married anyway. But Gabrielle Lawson had standards. Oh, she'd torture a character, but only in service of a plot. And one time I had the thought of a very, very bad torture. Vivisection, in fact. And I couldn't find the plot for it to serve what I found was a plot to serve it and this this made me kind of nervous Gabrielle doesn't stoop to those uh, standards you know uh, she has higher standards than that so in order to you know distance myself from this story which would also have some romance in it and I don't write romance Gabrielle that is doesn't write romance so yeah I had to separate myself from this. The farthest I could go, I thought, well, let's switch genders, be a guy. I always liked Philippe as a name. Friend suggested that's French, so pick up a French dictionary. And this was where the kismet came in because I opened the page to a random page. Keyword at the top of the page was massacre, massacre. But that's not the first word I saw. That's just more of the kismet. The first word I saw was matraque, meaning bludgeon or truncheon. This is for a torture fic writer, so Philippe of the Truncheon, or Philippe of the Bludgeon, sounds about right. So Philippe de la Matraque was born. Now, that story ended up getting a pretty good following, and I stopped being ashamed of it, and I went ahead and fessed up to the fact that Gabrielle Lawson is Philippe de la Matraque. But... I've thought it's just too fun to go ahead and have this other pen name and let my Gabrielle Lawson kind of be a snob about writing. Gabrielle Lawson does not write video games uh, stories. No, no, no. Fanfic for video games? That's ridiculous. And Gabrielle Lawson does not write romance. And Gabrielle Lawson will only torture a character for the sake of a plot. Philippe gets to do all the other fun stuff. So if it's a video game, as it is in this case, Call of Duty, World War II, it goes to Philippe. I like to think... It's still me writing, so I'm still going to give it my A game. When I wrote that original story, I was trying to give it my B game, and it turns out I just can't do that. I always give it my A game. So anyway, I hope you've been enjoying Aftermath, and we're going to go back to it. Where we left off last time was when Colonel Davis had shown up to chew out Sergeant Pearson, only to find he wasn't there. And he was taken to see Zussman, only to find he's unconscious and in severely bad shape with an internal bleeder. As these chapters are fairly short, I think I'll stick to reading two chapters per episode. So let's get back to it. Aftermath by Philippe de la Matraque. Chapter 4. Back in Vaudorb. When Pearson and Stiles reached the gates of Vaudorb, they were stopped by the guard there who told them that Colonel Davis was waiting for them. He helpfully pointed the way to the tent the colonel was occupying. Pearson dropped Stiles off so he could go to the infirmary and check in on Sussman and the others while he re resigned himself to the inevitable. Well, it wouldn't be the first time he was dressed down, or demoted for that matter. He parked the jeep, then walked to the tent. He brushed open the flaps and stepped inside. 
Davis was talking with someone, his back to Pearson. Pearson approached halfway, then stopped and stood at attention to wait. While he did so, he wondered how Zussman was doing. Maybe he'd be more awake today, a little stronger than before he and Stiles had left. Finally, the other soldier brushed past Pearson and left. Davis turned to face him. His expression wasn't helpful. He didn't look angry, but he didn't look not angry, either. Pearson wasn't sure what Davis was going to say, but he certainly didn't expect what he did say. "'What's your blood type, Sergeant?' Sir? Pearson wasn't sure why he'd be asking that. Blood type. But then he was a colonel, and Pearson was just a sergeant who had disobeyed orders. Again. A positive, sir. That's too bad. Still, I think we've found more than enough for now. I'm at a loss, sir, Pearson admitted, still at attention. We've been looking for donors. O negative. For your man Zussman. Something sunk in Pearson's chest blood donors? What had happened? He needed to go. It must have shown in his face. I can't just let you off the hook for disobeying orders, Sergeant, Davis told him. The war's not quite over yet. Understood, sir. But Zussman would have died if you hadn't, Davis went on. Did you find any of the other POWs back at Berga? No, sir, he admitted. Well, not survivors. Found a few more of our men dead, many civilian casualties. They were marched out of the camp, apparently the day we got there. Tracked them until we ran into other tracks. No way to know which one to follow further. God willing, we'll find them soon, Davis said. As for Zussman, he had a setback. Last I heard, he was in surgery and had lost a lot of blood, thus the need for donors. Go, Sergeant. Be with your men. Pearson saluted and turned to go, but Davis wasn't quite done yet, so he stopped and turned back. But consider yourself heavily reprimanded and stop disobeying my orders. Pearson smiled. Thoroughly reprimanded and deservedly so. Keep me posted, Sergeant. Will do, sir. Pearson turned again and left. As soon as he was outside, he sprinted to the infirmary. He found Aiello in the bed where Zussman had been and Stiles beside him in the chair. Daniels wasn't there. Aiello had a small bandage around his elbow. They're looking for O-negative donors, Stiles said. I heard, Pearson replied. I was the first volunteer, Aiello remarked, holding up his bandaged arm. They told me to rest for a couple hours. No word yet, but they took Daniels back to see the doctor. Pearson lightly slapped Aiello on the leg. Aiello moved his legs over so the sergeant could sit. What happened? Not sure, Aiello replied. He was asleep, we thought. Nurse comes over to feed him breakfast, but he wouldn't wake up. She pulled back his blanket, and Zuss's whole left side was dark. They grabbed him quick and took him to surgery. Nurse came back a bit later, saying he needed blood. How long's it been? Pearson asked. A couple hours, I think, Aiello told him. We found a chaplain. C.O. prayed with us, too. Daniels just went back there, Stiles added, just before I got here. Surgery's probably done, then, Pearson concluded. Doctor would come if he, if he didn't make it. Daniels felt a little uncomfortable with the booties and mask over the lower half of his face, but he understood it was to protect Zuss. Dr. Harris led him past the operating room. I want you to know, Harris said, that I'm the only American doctor here. A German doctor assisted me during the surgery. I let him know in no uncertain terms that I'd have him shot if he didn't do his very best to care for the patient. I can see no reason to have him executed now that it's over. They entered a smaller space with close beds. 
It felt more sterile here. Everyone who wasn't a patient was wearing a mask and booties over their shoes. They stopped at the foot of Zussman's bed, well, at least five feet away from it. Zuss looked very small, even in that small bed. His stomach was covered in bandages, and his ribs were visible in his chest. There was a tube in his nose. An IV with blood was hanging beside the bed and connected via a tube to his right arm. Zuss was unconscious. From the look of his bruises, Dr. Harris said, it seems he was getting a rifle butt to the abdomen fairly often. Did you happen to see or learn anything else, something particularly on his left side? Daniels played in his memory the scene as he was coming out of the woods, shots beyond the trees. A prisoner running, shot in the back. Another prisoner shoved down by a German with a pistol. The prisoner landed hard and cried out. It was Zussman, and he'd landed on his left side. German guard was shooting prisoners. I came through the trees and saw one shot as he was running. Then the German threw Zussman to the ground, hard. Left side? Daniels nodded. The doctor explained. Could be when it happened. He had no padding beyond the clothing he'd, ha he'd have on. He has no fat at all. His spleen ruptured. That's what caused the bleeding. It probably clotted and was fine for a day or two, but it didn't hold. Started bleeding again sometime in the night. We're very lucky we caught it when we did. Daniels couldn't even speak for a bit. He just looked at his friend. Finally, he said, He's going to be okay then? Dr. Harris took a breath. This is a delicate time. We had to make a large incision, explore his abdomen until we found the bleeder. We did, and we stopped it, but that surgery is a new trauma to his already weak body. We'll have a very tight watch on him for the next few days, at least. We're tube-feeding him because he definitely still needs to eat. I've asked for another doctor to help out. Otherwise, we'll have to trust the German doctors here, and I don't think that's in his best interest just now. I've got three American nurses. They'll work in shifts. Found some medics among the former prisoners to help watch him, too. You boys will have to stay away for a bit. The risk of infection is just too high. We'll most likely keep him sedated anyway. Daniels didn't like that, but at least Zuss wouldn't wake up alone. He just wouldn't be waking up for a bit. He probably wouldn't like that tube in his nose much if he did. A nurse led Daniels back toward where Aiello was waiting. She took the booties and mask. Daniels was surprised to see Stiles and Pearson back, were back, too. Davis read you the riot act? He asked Pearson as he joined them. Pearson smiled. I've been deservedly reprimanded, but he updated me on Zussman first. What did the doctor say? Ruptured spleen, Daniels told them. He's in another area now, sedated. They're feeding him through a tube in his nose. He'll be there a few days at least while he recovers from the surgery. We can't go back there without risking infection. I had to stand quite a few feet back and wear a mask and booties over my boots. How about you? Did you find them? Stiles frowned. Found a few more dead. And told the lieutenant there to look for the graves, Pearson added. We followed the tracks of the march, but ran into so many others we didn't know which to follow. Germans are probably evacuating a lot of camps before they can be liberated, Stiles said. Either to hide evidence... Then why leave all the bodies lying around? Aiello interjected. Or, Stiles continued, they are dead set on not letting any prisoners go. At least we got some in Ordruf, Daniels said. And Zuss, said Aiello. Pearson stood. 
I got a feeling the Allies will find more and more horrors before this is over, he concluded. The only good news is that it will be over soon. Amen to that, Aiello said. Well, since we can't stay with us, how about we find some grub out there? Stiles gave Aiello a hand standing up. Davis gave one more look back the way they'd taken Zuss. He felt a hand on his shoulder. We'll check back often, Pearson said. Daniels nodded, and they left the infirmary. Oh, and Davis wanted an update. Since you talked to the doctor, Daniels smirked. Yeah, I got it. Give me, Save me some grub. After Daniels reported the ruptured spleen to Colonel Davis, the colonel handed him a document. Orders, Corporal he said softly. Daniels detected no harshness in his voice. Passed them on to Pearson. War's not over yet, and you boys are in the army, and in the army, we do what we're told. Daniels glanced at the orders. They were to ship out in the morning. Zuss wouldn't even be woken up for days. That concern must have shown on his face, because Daniels put a hand on his shoulder. I'm going to keep tabs on Private Zussman, don't you worry. I will keep you updated on his progress. Daniels hated it, but Davis was right. They'd ignored orders too long already. And maybe if they kept going, they'd find the other Burger POWs. Yes, sir, he replied. Thank you, sir. Daniels left the tent in a foul mood. He found the others and sat down next to Stiles, who handed him a meal. You look glum, he commented. Food's not that bad. For army food, Aiello finished for him. Daniels handed the papers to Pearson. Not the food. Styles deduced. Pearson took a moment to read them, then blew out a breath. <sighs> We're headed out in the morning. We gotta meet up with the rest of the Third Army, southeast of here. Aiello put his fork down. So we have to leave Zussman here? What's he gonna think when they wake him up and we're not there? Daniels couldn't answer. He tucked into his meal without really tasting it. He'd given up his leave for Zussman. Every battle, every bullet fired since then was to get closer to finding Zussman, and every minute thereafter was to make sure that Zussman was still alive. It was jarring to be pulled out of that focus and dropped back into the mission of stopping Hitler and ending the war without Zussman. Colonel Davis said he'd keep, him, keep us updated. He'd keep tabs on us. Still gonna wake up here wondering where we are, Stiles said. He sounded glum, too. Pearson sighed. Yeah, on the bright side, we're going to kill us some more Nazis and maybe liberate some more prisoners. Or find them on the road, Daniels added, trying hard to see that bright side. And when we get a moment, we can ride him. Chapter 5. Badorb and the Ruhr Valley. April 11th, 1945. Sussman, I'm sorry we had to leave, but orders are orders. But Colonel Davis told me he'd keep us updated about you. I thought maybe you'd like to be updated about us. We haven't caught up with the first yet. We'll probably meet up with them tomorrow. We did, however, find Third Army just outside Weimar. There was is a very big camp there, Buchenwald. The things we saw there, well, I think you're probably familiar, only this was on a much greater scale. The Nazis had been evacuating this camp, too. Seems they just want to keep their prisoners from being liberated. I just don't understand how anyone could look at another human being and want to treat them the way they've been treating these people, or you. It shocks me that this brutality can happen in a civilized European country. How did this happen? On a brighter note, we heard the prisoners here in Buchenwald actually liberated themselves. 
A Polish engineer worked with a Russian POW on a hidden radio they'd built. They sent out a message in English, Russian, and German. Four minutes later, Third Army answered, saying to hold on because they were coming. So the prisoners attacked their guards and opened the gates to the Third. The survivors are in a bad shape. They're getting help, though. Some of these prisoners came from miles and miles away. The Germans marched them out of other camps, just like they did the other prisoners from Berga. We hoped some of your fellow prisoners might be there for the liberation, but there were no Americans. I know that as I write this, you're still asleep, healing. I want you to know that I was offered the chance to go home after I was shot. I turned it down because I had to find you. We were looking for you when we found you. We never forgot about you, not for a minute. I don't regret staying, because we did find you. Heal, Zussman. Get better. We'll see you again after this war is finally over. Sincerely, Red Daniels. Colonel Davis looked across the room at Private Zussman. His transformation could be called amazing if the conditions that caused it hadn't been so horrendous and illegal. And he'd only been in Burgas since February. How is he, Dr. Harris? Will he live? It's certainly possible, Dr. Harris responded. I can't guarantee it. His ordeal has weakened his body, his immune system. The stitches are barely holding his skin together because he has no slack in his skin. He can survive, but it's not going to be an easy road for him. It would be easier for him with his friends. There's a war on, Doctor, Davis reminded him, to stop the people who would do what they did to, to him and what they're doing to thousands of others. I get that, Harris told him, but I worked in a hospital in Boston before the war. I saw that patients who had people healed faster than patients that didn't. Davis sighed. He didn't doubt what the doctor said. Keep me apprised of his condition, daily reports, any changes. If and when he's up to it, I want to get him transferred to France. He's been in Germany too long already. The doctor nodded. Yes, sir. Davis left wondering what exactly had happened to Zussman and the other Berger POWs. He'd seen photos of Ordruf, and now he'd seen Badorg. The former was monstrous, the latter unenviable. Somewhere between the two, perhaps. Or had it been just like Ordruf? Two months for him to go from a strong, capable soldier to an emaciated shell of a man. He couldn't imagine the conditions, not really. And Zussman wasn't exactly able to explain it at the moment. Just as he reminded Pearson of his duty, Davis was also under orders. The army was on the move, and he was a part of that army. He'd made a detour to reprimand Pearson and bring him back into the fold. It was time to head back himself. Zussman was in good hands, and soon, God willing, he'd be back in France and far away from the far from the fighting and the people who'd imprisoned him. As soon as he left the infirmary, he heard the buzz. It was like a shock had hit the camp, leaving everyone somber and talking in hushed tones. He went to the nearest group of men. They were warming themselves around a fire. What is it? he asked. The president is dead, sir, a private told him. FDR. That was a blow he had not expected. He hurried back to his tent. Radio HQ, he ordered before the tent flaps had settled. You heard, Garrett said. As he rang up headquarters, he handed the radio to the colonel. The voice on the other end confirmed the news. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was dead. Harry Truman was now the president of the United States. They'd lost their leader through most of four terms. He led the nation out of the Depression and into this war after the attack on Pearl Harbor. 
Now the war against Germany was winding down, but the one against Japan was not. He hoped Truman could fill the great man's shoes. April 12, 1945. Zussman, we caught up with the rest of the division today. Big things are about to happen, but you know I can't be specific about it. We got sad news today. FDR has died. Harry Truman is the new president. Should be interesting having someone from the Mid Midwest in the White House. He's got big shoes to fill. Sorry I can't write more today. We'll get back to see you as soon as we can. Red. It had been a week since, pri since Private Zussman's surgery. He was still alive, which was something. There was no infection in his abdomen, which was good. The incision was still an issue. As he was fed, little by little, he gained weight, which stretched his skin and pulled on the stitches. Lord knew he needed to gain weight, but he also needed his incision to heal fully. Reclining or sitting up could produce some slack, so Harris decided it was time to wake Private Zussman. The feeding tube was the first to go. The medication keeping him unconscious was backed off. It left him groggy. They were easing him up. His breathing deepened, and it was time to move him. Given that Zussman was their only concentration camp patient, they kept him somewhat isolated. There were fewer former POWs in the infirmary now anyway. His new bed was in a quiet corner. Several pillows had been stacked at the head of the bed to raise the private into a reclining position. It would allow him to eat more easily, too. Once safely moved, they waited for him to finish waking up. Dr. Harris wasn't happy that he wouldn't see a friend when he did so, so he determined Zussman would at least see a friendly face. He pulled up a chair and waited. Zussman became aware of a pain in his abdomen. Something had happened. Something bad. He opened his eyes and squinted in the light. He looked for Daniels or Aiello, but only saw the doctor. Welcome back, Private, the doctor said. How do you feel? Hurts, he replied. His voice sounded strangely slow to himself. He tried to point to where it hurt, but his hand just kind of flopped. You had a bit of a setback, I'm afraid, the doctor explained. Your spleen ruptured during the night and you bled internally. We had to take you to surgery. We kept you asleep for a while after that to help you recover. Today is April 17th. 17th? What day was it before? He remembered the 9th. He told Pearson about the ones who had died. Pearson, he said aloud. Your squad was ordered back to the front, the doctor told him. I'm sure they wanted to be here when you woke up. In fact, we've already received a couple letters for you from Corporal Daniels. They were gone. He was alone again. Same doctor, so still in a POW camp, but free. He had to remind himself he was free. The doctor reached into his pocket and pulled out two letters. He handed them to Zussman. He took them and held them for a moment. Metz wasn't here to take them away. They were his. He laid one on his lap and tried to open the other, but his hands were clumsy. Let me help, the doctor suggested. You've only been out of anesthesia for a few minutes. You'll get stronger. Zussman let the doctor open both letters, then held them up to read. He could hear Daniel's Texas accent as he read. The first told of a bigger camp where the prisoners liberated themselves. He talked. He had talked to some of the civilian prisoners in Berga. He knew of bigger camps, like Buchenwald. He'd heard of a very large one in Poland, Auschwitz. 
One young man had come from there. He felt Berger was a huge step up. Zussman couldn't understand that, couldn't imagine it. Then the young man told him about gas chambers where thousands could be killed each day and burned up in ovens. The next letter was short. They were getting close to a battle from the sounds of it. So the war wasn't over, still. But the president was dead. FDR died? Yes, the doctor confirmed, five days ago. He looked at the dates of the letters. April 11th and 12th. No more letters? I'm sorry, no. Had something happened? How would he know? No one would have reason to notify him as if his friends had died. Colonel Davis wants you transferred to a hospital in France, the doctor told him. Thinks maybe you've had enough time in Germany. He'd certainly had enough of Germans. Red had it right in his first letter. How did a civil civilized people, the people of Mozart and Goethe, become the monsters they'd turned into? They starved people, worked them to death, beat them to death, gassed them to death. They rewarded cruelty and punished compassion. Zussman knew he had family, distant relatives, who'd been in Germany. His mother's sisters, his father's uncle. Were they still alive? He nodded. I think so, too. The doctor put a hand on his arm, then stood up. We're going to keep you for at least another day or two, but I'll find a bed for you in France. A nurse will be by in a bit to give you some soup and something for the pain. The nurse did come, and she did give him a couple of pills. His stomach, well, his torso, still hurt, but was, but was dulled somewhat. She checked his wound, and he got a look thanks to, the reclining, to his reclining position. It was a longer incision than when he'd been stabbed. He'd been out of the fighting for seven weeks after that. The doctor had said it was one week after surgery. The bruises from before were turning more green and yellow. Still, he felt tired and weak and hungry always hungry. He also felt lonely. When he was captured, he wasn't alone. He missed his squad, his platoon, but he had plenty of other captured soldiers around him. None of them knew what to expect, though they weren't too fearful. The Geneva Conventions protected prisoners of war, and for a couple of months that was the way it worked out. It was boring for the most part, cold given the harsh winter, and even overcrowded, but they were all in it together. Then, when they were separated and he spoke out, he was seen as something of a minor hero, when in fact he had a big headache from the Germans' blow, and he was more frightened than ever. Given his family in Germany, his parents had followed the news there carefully, and after the Nazis took over, it just got worse and worse for Jews. There was no illusion for Zussman that this camp would be like Bad Orb. The Germans had wanted Jews, the lowliest of the low in Nazi eyes. Still, the level of cruelty, depravity, and loathing shocked him. The blatant mockery of the Geneva Conventions shocked all of them. Again, he was not alone. While in the train and later in the camp, he'd gotten to know some of the other Berger POWs. He served early on as a translator, explaining to the others what the Germans had said, what they were meant to do at the work site, what the routine would be. When Messe showed him what he had in store for Zussman, it still didn't isolate him the way Metz had hoped. He was singled out, punished when others attempted to help him or defend him, but it didn't stop them once they were behind the closed doors in the darkness of the barracks. 
Hell, the medics had even cut an inch-wide strip from each of their blankets to wrap around his torso under his uniform in order to give him an added bit of padding against the rifle butts Metz favored. Given the cold and unheated blankets, it was quite a gesture of solidarity. And these men, too, became his friends. Many were Jewish, but a lot weren't. Still, there was little anti-Semitism to be found among them. Some of the non-Jews may, may not have liked Jews, but they certainly didn't agree with what the Nazis were doing to the Jewish people, civilians or otherwise, in their grasp. Even more so since they were treated the same way the Nazis were treating Jews. The result was that they had become something of a unit. Each man struggled to survive, but they also encouraged each other, helped each other where they could, and mourned the ones who didn't survive. Then they were gone on a march, and he was left to be shot with a few others. Only it didn't happen because his squad, Daniels, Pearson, Aiello, and Stiles, had been looking for him, and they found him, and they stayed with him right up until the surgery. Now he didn't have them. He didn't have the Berga POWs. Were they even still alive? Were they still marching? He was alone, and it felt lonely. The loneliness made it harder to push away memories, memories that hurt, either for the nutritious food. It was here in Bador before the selection and transferred to Berga. Powdered eggs, thick brown bed, Ertzatz coffee. Decent meal in a POW camp. Better were the Red Cross packages they received at New Year's. Chocolates, spam, crackers, cookies, even fruitcake. They'd had to share as the camp was overcrowded, but Zussman remembered like it like Thanksgiving dinner back home, before the Depression. But once in the train, all that was over. Three days they were in those trains. No water, no food, no sanitation. And then in the camp, they barely received any food at all. A small amount of bread that had, been, that had to be shared by five men. And the bread didn't feel or taste like bread. It felt sandy with hard bits. The guards taunted them, telling them there was glass in it. But they were so hungry they ate it anyway. The soup they were given was mostly water, some weeds for greens. Maybe there was a hint of a vegetable or a scrap of meat. Meat of what? Again, the gods, guards told them, cat or rat or dog. No way to know. They drank it anyway. Food became the most important thing in their lives. It was never enough. Day by day, they grew weaker, hungrier, sicker. The Red Cross packages only came twice. The first time, the Germans held on to them for almost two weeks. They finally released them late March. Metz made sure Zussman got none of it. While his fellow POWs enjoyed the treats inside, Metz made Zussman stand outside in the snow. The second one came on Easter and Passover. Again, Metz made him stand outside. There was one thing that was more important than food. With that first set of Red Cross packages, the Germans released letters from home. There was a letter for Zussman, too, from his mother. Metz opened it and held it out up in front of him close enough that he could recognize her handwriting. And then Metz pulled out a lighter and set one corner on fire. Sussman tried hard to make out some words there in the feeble illumination of the camp lights and the flame burning away his mother's words. Only when the guards called for lights out and his letter was in ashes in the snow was he allowed back in, in the barracks. Sussman felt around on the bed until he found them, his letters from Daniel's. He read them again, then folded them care carefully as the nurse was coming with his breakfast. He could smell it, see the steam rising off the heat of the food. Eggs, 
She set the tray on the chair beside the bed while he, she helped him sit up straighter, scrambled eggs with cheese melted over them. It wasn't the spread he was hoping for, but his mouth started watering anyway. She put the tray in his lap and he lifted the fork, shaky hands or no, he was going to feed himself. He couldn't remember anything ever tasting as good as those eggs. They were moist but stiff and not too runny, the cheese perfectly melted. He wanted to savor those eggs, but he just couldn't. The nurse's hand on his arm slowed him down. It's not going anywhere, she said, smiling gently. Zussman forced himself to chew each bite and swallow before lifting the fork with another bite. The eggs were warm, slightly salted, cheesy, and gone far too soon. There beside his plate was a cup of milk and two small pills. The nurse helped him st help steady his hand as he drank the milk and swallowed the pills. Let me know if you have any discomfort, the nurse said as she gathered up the tray. Can I have more? he asked. She smiled. In a bit, if your body can safely tolerate this. Your body didn't just shrink, it changed. You spent so long without food that your body wasn't used to it anymore. We're hoping, by going slow with easy, soft food, it's that your body will get used to it again. So if you can keep those eggs down, it only gets better from here. She took the tray and left. Zussman took out his letters again. He wanted to write Daniel's back, but what could he write about besides waking up and getting to eat eggs? He could write his mother. She was probably worried sick. But he could barely hold that fork. How could he hold a pen steady enough? And how could he tell her everything he'd been through? It would only make her more worried. So once again, he was bored and left with nothing but his thoughts and memories. So he slept, and he told himself that was a luxury. In Berga, he'd rarely gotten a full night's sleep. He'd have to get up every day when the world was still dark, eat what was pitifully provided, then march to the tunnels knowing he'd be breathing in dust all day. It scratched at their throats, made them cough. Then he had to march back, beaten and bruised. Sometimes he had to crawl back. No one was allowed to help him. You wanted to see me, sir? Pearson asked as he entered Colonel Davis's tent and stood to attention. At ease, Sergeant, Davis said. Your unit fought well out there these last few days. Thank you, sir, Pearson replied, relaxing his stance. We really want to defeat these Nazis. To get back to Zussman? Pearson didn't give him an answer exactly. And to punish them for what they did to him, to the other Berga POWs and millions of civilians all over Europe. They were enemies before, sir. Now we know they're criminals, monsters. I saw Buchenwald, Davis told him, after I left Bad Orb. The good people of Weimar said they didn't know what was going on down the street. How could they not? You can smell it from the train station. Many of those prisoners didn't have anyone left. Their families were wiped out, whole villages. Pearson knew that, and it made him sick to even imagine the scale. Sussman is awake as of two days ago. He's responsive. They're going to transfer him to an army hospital in Bastogne. Pearson wanted to run back and tell the others. That's good news, sir. He'd been worried with no news. They all had. Davis handed him a piece of paper. New orders, he said. Sussman has people, and since he can't come to you... Pearson looked at the orders. He, Corporal Daniels, and Privates Aiello and Stiles were temporarily transferred to the Army Group in Bastogne, Belgium. Davis handed him another paper. I have a hunch you'll still want to find the other B Berga POWs. This will let you do it. Be careful. Stay behind the lines. Don't get out too far and let a sniper pick you off. 
Pearson wanted to thank him, maybe even hug him, but he restrained himself. The war's not over, sir. We can manage it without four men, Sergeant. Thank you, sir. Dismissed. Davis turned away. Oh, I still want to know how he's doing. Yes, sir. Pearson saluted and left the tent and hurried to the guy's tent. Not surprisingly, he found Daniels writing another letter. Of course, it might have been to Hazel, but it could have been to Zuss. So he took a gamble. You're not going to have to mail that letter, he said. Daniels looked up. What's up, Sarge? Aiello asked. He was playing cards with Styles on his cot. New orders, Pearson said, holding up the papers. War's going to have to go on without the four of us. We're going to where Zuss is going. Bastogne. Styles stood up. Really? How is he? Davis said he woke up two days ago. He's responsive. I guess that means he's talking. He's being transferred out of Bad Orb tomorrow, so pack up and we'll head out in the morning, too. April 19th, 1945. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Zussman, It has come to my attention that you may not be aware of your son's status. I'm certain you were notified of his capture in December. He was first held in Bador POW camp. Then, in February, he was transferred to a smaller camp. I can't at this time divulge details of his imprisonment except to say that his health was affected. He was liberated on April 6th and has been under the care of the United States Army Medical Corps. I am also certain that he would very much appreciate a word from home. I'm sure he will write you when he is feeling better. We will send him home once he's well enough for the long trip back across the Atlantic. I assure you he's receiving the best care possible. Sincerely, Colonel Davis, United States Army. Well, there's nothing like reading out loud to find all your mistakes and typos. I hope I found them all anyway. <laughs> I had actually thought Bastogne was in France. I found out recently that it was in Belgium, so I had to do a little editing. The updates will be out on Archive of Our Own right now and pretty soon on fanfiction.net tonight or tomorrow. Okay, well, there were some footnotes on the end of Chapter 5, and I thought to save them for here. The Ruhr Pocket battle that Red wrote of in his letter was a real battle the first played a part in. I did a bit of research. I usually don't like researching. I'd much rather know everything up front. But sometimes I just want to know something, or sometimes I need to know something. Well, I wanted to know about the first movement in the war and found that the game did a good job of hitting the highlights. Everywhere we fought in the game, the first fought. They went on after Remagen, though. The next battle I heard about was the Ruhr Pocket. I do know they fought a couple battles in Czechoslovakia, but I couldn't find details on those. The internet is a wonderful thing. A little bit of research in only a few minutes. Well, that was the truth. And the actual wound that I didn't tell you last episode is the ruptured spleen. Yeah, that actually happens to people. Fall off a tractor. Couple... Fall off a tractor. And wait a couple days. The thing starts bleeding. You bleed internally and die. It can happen. A car wreck. Um, falling down. It can, it can happen. So be careful out there. Watch where you fall. Um, ruptured spleens can be uh, sneaky that way. But, you know, again, that was internet research. Research. And I wish I'd had the internet 
back when I started writing <laughs> fanfic or anything else, back back when I was in high school, oh my gosh, it would have been so much easier, or college or, or grad school, if only. A lot. Well, the internet was kind of in and out there when I was in college. I didn't know it very well, though, and it was in, in text-only format um, when I came back from the Czech Republic. Now, I did have it in the Czech Republic, but it was expensive, so I only did a few minutes a day. So I'd write my emails offline. I had a, a, a program on my computer that would do that. And then when I plugged in, it would send all my emails and download my new emails. And then I could read them offline, reply to them offline, and do it again. So it was only when I came back and I had a, I don't remember, it was a, yeah, it was a DOS-only computer. So it was all just Usenet and uh, text-only websites. And that's where I found fan fiction and found that there was a place for my story that I'd written for myself and that's how I found out about Alt Star Trek Creative, where I started my fanfiction well before fanfiction.net was even thought of. I remember Zing, X-I-N-G, Zing, posting about wanting to build a place like fanfiction.net, which Zing eventually did. Okay, well, I don't want to keep prattling on here tonight so I'm going to end it with that again if you would like to write me uh, get in touch with me in any way you can eat, uh, tweet me at, at inhildi that's I-N-H-E-I-L-D-I and you could, that's also the beginning of Gabrielle's email address inhildi at gmail.com Ina Coriel is A-I-N-A-E-C-H-O-I-R I-E-L at gmail.com and Philippe, the author of this story, is P. Delamatrac, P-D-E-L-A-M-A-T-R-A-Q-U-E, at gmail.com. And we look forward to hearing from you.